0: All right, well, we're so excited kicking off this new series, Call of the Wild. And Jenny's excited, so that's good. And uh, if uh, before we begin, you've been watching for a while, logging on for a while. You're more and more resonating with what's happening at Fresh Life. And you're towards that spot of saying, hey, like, I want to figure out what this means to, for Fresh Life to be my church. Well, let me tell you something. First of all, we will have you. Uh, we would love for you to be a part of what God is doing here as we all are just in awe of what God's doing. And the way, in this season he 's opening doors for us to reconsider what it looks like to, to be doing ministry on a on a global level, and we 're so excited to let you know what that next step is, because maybe you know dutifully you 're watching these messages, and you 're more and more sensing that this this is your people that we 're your people, and you want to be a part of this party that God is always wanting to continue as the table just gets bigger. And you know, you're like, but I'm in, I'm in Florida, or I'm in Kuwait, or I'm in South Africa, and you know, what does it look like for me to be all in and a part of Fresh Life? Well, I'm really excited. We've been working hard, scrambling and pivoting to figure that out as well. And we're so excited to tell you about Crash Course Online, which is available right now at freshlife.church. And this is where you can get to know my wife and I more, uh, learn more about the history and the mission and the values and the culture and the belief of this thing that God's doing through his son Jesus uh, that is called Fresh Life Church. And it'll be three different sections. And the cool thing about Crash Course is that it's available on demand. So you can take and string it out and do one a week. Or you can do it all like you watched the last season of Black Mirror. And you should ask for God's forgiveness on your soul for watching that disgusting show. Uh, but you, the three, three, three steps of the Crash Course journey that will help you figure out more and more what it looks like to be a part of Fresh Life and, and, uh, and what that entails. And then from there, move forward, taking a step to get onto one of our impact teams and serving God in your city right where you live. And we just get better together. And so now why don't you consider, if you, uh, if you sense that, that pull, that, that magnetic pull towards what God's doing here to take that journey, uh, start today. Crash course available on demand. We're so excited about it. Well, if you have a Bible, we're in James uh, chapter 1, where we will be for six uh, weeks studying together. And I'm going to call this first message, Stand Your Ground. Stand Your Ground. James chapter 1, I want to read with you verses 19 through 25, where James says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does." With due appreciation to Jack London, we've taken the title, The Call of the Wild, as the the heading under which we're organizing these messages and the week spent in the New Testament book of James. For that is exactly what God intends for things to be like in your soul, healthy and pure and vibrant and unpredictable and unexpected and full of strength to be, in a word, wild. That is what Jesus is calling us to. As the beaver put it in the Chronicles of Narnia, he is not a tame lion. He is wild. He is not safe, but he is. Is good and that's what God wants there to be. That's what what was in the Garden of Eden when we walked uh, childlike but not childish. When we were naked but had no shame, felt no fear. There was pure joy, pure adrenaline, pure beauty. There was doing what God called us to do and reporting to Him what it was like. There was relationship with Him and each other, unmarred by sin and pretense, no hiding. It was just wild. It was just Wonderful, And listen, that is what will be when we are in the new heavens and the new earth, when, when we are outside of bodies that pull us to sin, that pull us to selfishness, when there's never going to once again be on the news anything about a car accident or any heartbreaking, gut-churning, sickening story that we read about. There's no more pandemics, no more things that defile, no more things that divide, never having to say goodbye. It will be in that day wild. And here and now in the space between these two gardens, the, the, the garden city of heaven coming down to earth and the garden of Eden, here we sit because of what Jesus went through in the garden called Gethsemane where he picked up the cup and accepted the cross. Here we now sit in a moment where in Christ it's possible, still on this fallen earth, to be healthy, to be healed, to be whole to be restored, to be that sheep on his shoulders, listening to him rejoice as he heads back to his father's house, how good it is that I found this lost lamb, to hear him fist pump as he picks that coin up that he has been looking for in the home. That woman, Jesus said, picks up that coin, and the father, and everyone's gathered into the room to celebrate the coin that was lost, to be the father weeping as the prodigal son. We get to to be a part of all of that as we embrace the call of the wild. But here's the thing, as opposed to Eden as, and as opposed to what will one day be in heaven, on this side of eternity, in the, here's the whole series in a nutshell, it takes work to stay wild. It takes work to stay wild. And as an illustration, let me point you to the wild places in our country. We have some incredible wild places you can go all across the United States. In fact, there are, in total, over 400 million acres of wilderness in our country alone. And that's, that's impressive when you think about the fact that there are like 62 national parks. Uh, there's 704 wilderness areas, 193 million acres of national forests. There are so many wilderness places you can go and, in the best possible sense, get lost. I mean, you, don't, you want to take that symbolically and not literally, but but there, there's an incredible wealth that we have in our country. And where God has started Fresh Life Church, where it's spring out of, there's just an abundance of this sort of thing. You know, I, I get asked a lot. One of the most common questions, actually, I get asked when I do interviews or talk to people, I just almost always know it's coming, is, uh, so why Montana? And I can almost tell from the intonation of the voice where it's going, so what led you to Montana? Which means they're kind of looking at me going, you don't seem like you belong here. You, <laughs> you, you, we, don't, we don't want you. Are you too good for your home? No, listen, that, that's like the thing. Like, why Montana? Like. It, wh- why, so why am I, and, and I used to always struggle with it. I didn't really know. I mean, how do you articulate that you sense the Holy Spirit pulling you, it was such a journey, such a process. It was definitely not like an eight ball said Montana on it. It was, it was so much to it. But the answer that I'm giving these days that I really feel deep in my in my spirit is I, I don't know exactly why God chose to birth Fresh Life Church as it now is reaching Globally, all over the place, and touching lives and, 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 and ministering to people through this ministry. Is, and Jesus gets all the glory for all that. Everything that He's done, we're just in awe of. None of it makes any sense. We felt all these years like we're skiing in front of an avalanche, you know, just butt puckered, trying not to get clobbered, you know, just trying to just keep, keep going. And, and, and really, that's what it has felt like. But, but the answer that I, that I feel like is when God wants to, with a single storm, send water into the Pacific and the Atlantic. He chooses to do so by sending it onto the Continental Divide. And there, through all the drainages, through all the rivers to streams, and streams to creeks, and and all the way, it, it makes its way to the ocean, he does so from this region, and that 's what we feel like God has been doing here he 's sending this storm of of refreshment, the storm of his spirit, the storm of love and he 's chosen to do so in an area that 's just rich with mountains and lakes and, and and from Oregon to wyoming and the the beauty, the stunning, staggering beauty of of utah and and, and this area that we get to call home, we have sensed and seen God doing so much that he's wanted to do, reaching far-flung places from sea to shining sea, from coast to coast. And he's chosen to do so from this spot, this beautiful spot, the, the Continental Divide, that is home to many of these staggeringly, stunningly beautiful wilderness areas and national parks like Yellowstone and, and like Glacier and others. But those beautiful places, those, what did I say, 400 million acres of wilderness, it has taken a lot of work for us to be here in the year 2020 and for them to be intact and for them not to have Taco Bells and not to have cell phone towers and not to have condos and high rises and developments when you go to Dead Horse National Park or State Park in Utah for there not to be uh, development in those places and bungee jumping taking place off the side of the canyons. What did I say? It takes work to stay wild. And if you're not asleep yet, let me try and do my absolute best. The history is, to me, so interesting because the first national park in our country, and we're very impressed by ours, but. Australia has 500 national parks, more than anywhere in the country. And Belize has the greatest percentage of its country given over to national parks. 63% of Belize is national park. But, but, but we'll just live in the nation we're in. We're just going to run in our land, girl. And, um, and, and in our country, the first national park was Yellowstone. And this became a national park because of a declaration made all the way back right after the Civil War by President Grant, if you could believe it. 1872, we had zero national parks, and now we have one. And he already, even Lincoln kind of already knew that this area was so beautiful and so unlike anything else in the country, it needed to be protected. Well, Grant put that into order and said, this area is a national park. Used that phrase for the very first time. And so Grant gets the original credit. But of course, when we think of the national park system, we think of John Muir. John Muir was the son of the wilderness. John Muir has been called the spirit and the beating heart of the conservation movement. And he was the soul of the national park system before such a thing existed. This guy was so punk rock. He one time was sick, deathly sick. His wife thought he was going to die. Climbed up Mount Rainier. And she goes, what are you doing? You said you weren't going to go. And he goes, I just got so excited. And then I found myself at the top. This guy. Like, he, he would opine to himself about how the mountains were calling and, and he needed to go. It was John Muir uh, who was the one who convinced Teddy Roosevelt to come visit him in Yosemite National Park in California and to go camping with him. And that three-day camping trip has been called the most significant event in the history of conservation in this country. Because it was during that period that the deep love that Roosevelt always had for being outside, he really believed there was nothing better to develop the character and heart of somebody than to spend time in some of the beautiful places. He was forged into the man he became by his time in the badlands of Dakota, where he just became uh, just more, 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 you know, Comfortable being dirty and doing the work of a, of a ranch hand and getting bucked off of horses and fighting grizzly bears and and all of those things, so his time with Muir uh, caused him to walk away with a resolve to do what well here 's what he did. He created the United States Forest Service, he created one hundred and fifty national forests as presidents as president fifty one federal bird reserves, four national game preserves, five national parks, he doubled the amount of national parks created fifty one Uh, I already said that, federal bird reserves, but let's just mention it twice because, you know, how many bird reserves have you created lately? Yeah, exactly the same amount I have. Uh, He also, uh, and this is one of the most important things he did, he established the Antiquities Act, which allowed any president to declare a national monument of any federal land. And uh, since then, every single president in office has enacted some sort of legislation with regards to protecting wilderness areas. In all... Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was responsible for the preservation of 230 million acres, which has really locked in his presidency as the presidency of conservation. Then we flash forward to Woodrow Wilson. The year is now 1916. And here you see President Wilson uh, deep at thought in his desk. And that was the year when he signed what has been called the Organic Act. And the Organic Act formalized an, a branch of the government, the National Park Service, which would look after all of this ever-growing, ever-needing-to-be-cared-for-and-policed land uh, for, for the protection of it for our posterity, which in this year, 2020, now has about 20,000 employees and 300,000 volunteers per year keeping up all of these beautiful parts of our nation that so many people in COVID are now experiencing in their hashtag band life as they make their way around the country. Because we can homeschool, and we can just live in this van, and it'll sound great for about three months. All right, okay. now if you fast, flash forward from Wilson to FDR, FDR, who idolized Teddy Roosevelt, Uh, He, coming out of the Great Depression and coming out of the Dust Bowl, of course, had the New Deal. And the New Deal was giving jobs to people and really cranking up the economy. So he created what was called the Civilian Conservation Corps, which planted three billion trees. A large amount of these were in the shelter belt, which was that great strip 100 miles wide of trees from Canada all the way to Mexico, which was a part of him uh, trying to end the Dust Bowl. That's some fascinating history as well, but this Corps also built campgrounds, many of the ones that you and I have stayed at today. They built trails. They just did so much all around, and dams, and jobs. And, and they just went gangbusters, seeing things like going to the Sun Road and other things that you would see uh, came out of this, uh, this spirit of adventure. Then we go to Lyndon Johnson, the successor to John F. Kennedy. And in 1964, here he is signing the Wilderness Act. And the Wilderness Act was basically Uh, now legislation that would allow any wilderness area to be protected from anything mechanized or anything that would be a permanent structure or any commercial activity, so that it wouldn't just be a national park where you see it from your vehicle or where you can helicopter over it, but it would be preserved exactly for future generations to see it as it was seen by Lewis and Clark, as it was seen by the Native Americans uh, who were the, the OG uh, in this nation as well. The, the goal, and here's the articulation, just an excerpt from it. A wilderness in contrast with those areas where man and his works dominate the landscape is hereby recognized as an area where the earth and its community of life are untrammeled by man, where man himself is a visitor who does not remain. That's beautiful. Beautiful. And we could go on and talk about how many people work for the Forest Service. The answer is 30,000. But what I'm really trying to get you to see with this overview of the history of wilderness that is there for the seeing, there for the, the, the experiencing, there it's been there your entire life uh, for you to, to visit and for you to experience, for your soul to be touched by. What I'm trying to get you to see is that things do not stay wild without work. There has had to be work for, uh, for us to put in place. For, there has had to be policing. There have had to be rules. Otherwise, man's nature would have overcome it. Our nature would have ruined it. Our nature would have spoiled it. We would have paved paradise to put up a parking lot. And so things can't, on this side of heaven, stay in that wild, beautiful place without a lot of intentionality, without lines in the sand, without saying this far and no further. This is important. As Roosevelt once said in a letter, we must not build this country of ours for a day. We must build it with a mind that will go through the ages. We want to build for our grandchildren to see and experience. And I love that because God is faithful to a 1,000 generations. And as we build the church, as we seek to move, we should have that similar mentality, that similar spirit. We should think generationally. We should think impact. I hope you're praying prayers for what your great, great, great grandchildren are going to do when one day they pick up and are reading through your soap journal. And they're going, can you believe back in 2020, he was praying for me? He was praying. They'll be saying that from their robotic hovered craft with spider legs that will take them through the wilderness there. I don't know. just kidding. Nope, nothing mechanized or modern, right? They have to be on the back of a horse or on their own two feet, experiencing the Great Bear or the Sawtooth Mountains or whatever it is, but... But that's just what I'm trying to get you to see. And, and for you and I to have the souls full of wild, passionate, crazy, so strong and bold and alive, that, 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 that kind of life that we want, for that to be there, there has to be work we're willing to do to protect it, to keep that fan uh, going hard, to keep the flame Burning, burning bright. What I'm trying to get you to see is that just as there had to be legislation and work, there have to be employees and figuring these systems out, so the soil of your soul needs protection or it will be overrun, it will be trampled, there will be cares that crowd in, there will be competing things that crowd out all the good stuff. You'll look up one day and nothing will be wild. You'll be living a life that's a far cry of what Christ intended it to be. There's going to be cell phone towers everywhere, and and um, and McDonald's drive-throughs where it's meant to be just stunning vistas now be crowding in your heart. The the walk with Jesus was never meant to be commercialized. It was never meant to be a commodity. It was never meant to be something that could be forced into a box and controlled. And okay, I'll just hit play on Sunday. And that's what it means to be a Christian. When we talk about following Christ, we're talking about picking up our cross and following him because he gave his life to buy ours. And so now we're going to follow him. Everything becomes an act of worship. Nothing is impossible with our God. It's meant to be a dance and a journey and a joy and a feast, not to be anything that you could ever figure out fully. But for that to happen, you and I will have to stand our ground. We'll have to stand our ground. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say you will have to protect the castle of your heart. You not only do not have a duty to retreat in, insofar as I'm talking about your soul here, you must protect the castle of your heart so that always and constantly and forever there will be that flag called joy flying high to bear witness to a watching, waiting, wondering, worrying world that there is a king in, in re- that is in residence there. And if there's a king in residence in your heart, there will be a feast. It will be wild. It, it will be a lot of things, but controlled and safe and, and, and with a drive through And would you like fries well, that will not, with that will not be part of the equation. It's going to be like a wilderness area that you're meant to feel like, is it safe? Are we supposed to be here? I'm not even sure. We may not make it. That's what it's meant to walk with Jesus hand in hand with a, with a God who is not safe, but he is good. And man, it's going to be exciting. There are going to be some stories to tell. But if for that to happen, you have to stand your ground. Against what? Two things. Don't miss them. Temptation and affliction. You have a duty. You have a duty to protect the castle of your heart because you are being sieged every day by temptation and affliction. I'm talking about sin and suffering. And these two things James presents to us as constantly trying to bombard us and capture our flag, to rip that flag called joy from the castle of our hearts so that the world will see. Yeah, they're, they're Christians. I mean, that, that means they log on to Fresh Life once a week. That means they have a Bible, and maybe they even are willing to judgmentally post a thing or two on Facebook. But they're not seeing the joy of the Lord that is your strength, that love brimming over that sense that there's something different going on here. And I want to get me some of that. James, in the first couple of verses of this letter, lays out both of those things. I want you to see it. James 1 verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. This is affliction. This is suffering. This is, hey, things just went bad, man. When you fall into various trials, I want that flag called joy to fly above your heart. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces, notice I underline it, patience. But let, again, patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. All right, so here he tells us that the thing we are to do when life sucks is pretty much the opposite of what you will feel like doing. Hey, uh, so just wanted to write you this little letter. Imagine them reading it. Hey, is your life stuck? Yes. You should be stoked. <laughs> I hate this letter. This letter's the dumbest letter of all the letters, right? He's saying, I know it's going to sound crazy, but when you fall into various trials, I want you to have even more joy than ever. Count it all joy when that happens. Okay, so that's what to do and joy in the midst of of, of suffering, affliction. The second is sin, sin. He says, this is temptation, right? Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures, notice we underlined it, temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. That's awesome. Which, the, like a crown? Like how, how many people in your life are just offering you crowns, right? That's amazing. And all I got to do is not give in to temptation. And I get a crown, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And you know what it will feel like to receive that crown? Joyful, Okay. So joy in the midst of affliction, joy if we overcome temptation. Now, the word patience that we underlined and the word endure, which we underlined in both of those scenarios, are actually the same Greek word. And the word, this is such a good word. I need you to get this word. It's hupomone. 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 Okay? Now, here's what's amazing about this word. Hupo means, like, hyper or intense, okay? And like a, like a lot of. And, and mone means to stand, okay? So hupomone basically is hyperstand. Like, it's not like I'm standing. It's like, you no, know, this is like my hyperstand, right? Like, I'm. I'm like, look at that. Look look at, like, like, see that? Here's a stand, hyper stand, right? Like I am, I'm like ready to go, man. Like I am, I'm, I'm, I've got some stabilizers, right? Like I'm, I'm ready to go. Like when you're paddle boarding and you put the paddle in the middle, it kind of anchors you. Like people are tipping over, you can put your paddle down, turns you from a ladder into a tripod. You got three points touching the board, more stability. Hupomenet, a hyper stand. I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I got my who Hupomenet. Okay. So when he says, I want you to endure with joy and temptation in affliction because uh, the, there's going to be joy in your heart as he develops you. You become more and more complete, lacking nothing. He's saying, I want you to hyperstand when you feel like getting knocked over. This thing hits you, you're like, dang, man. I'm ready to peace out on even following Jesus. Dang, man. I thought God was good. What the heck? Like, oh, really? God can't just knock COVID out? Like, like you're, you're, you're tempted to get knocked over because of this difficulty. The enemy's huffing and puffing. He's trying to blow your house down. He's coming after your marriage. He's coming after your kids. He's coming after your peace. He's coming after every part of you. You're getting hit. You're getting hit. You're like, man, what the, hupoma. You got to hype. You can't just stand there. You can't just have your knees locked, right? You'll be the fainting groom. You, you got you to bend those knees. You got to be crouched. You got to get a lower center. You got a hyper stand. If you want to endure, you got to check your stance. Okay, then he says temptation comes. Temptation is the enemy tried the front door, kicking it in with a battering around. That didn't work. So he went to see if you locked the back door, right? He doesn't have, have to bang if the, the back door's open. So he tries to sneak in with temptation, he tries to sneak in. I'll just put this on your computer. Just, just sneak in. You'll get low and text that old girlfriend. Said, I'm gonna. I'm going to try with temptation. And what does James say? Verse so you you've got to endure hypomone. You've got to hyperstand temptation. Now, here's what's so cool about hyperstand. I looked it up in my Greek dictionary, and the definition is to remain when others depart, to bear up and remain constant, to stand your ground. The enemy's trying to come into this wilderness area in your soul that's meant to be lush. It's meant to be a tropical jungle version or a Grand Canyon version, whatever. Like there's this beautiful, that people would get there and be like, you know it's a wilderness era when you try to take a picture and you're mad at the picture. Because it's just like, no, no. You're like, I don't even want to. I'm just going to drink it in for a sec. Because I can tra- even .5 on the new iPhone isn't giving me what I want here. Even when I back, I'm just like, nope. And you show it to me like, it's just, you could look at this, but this is stupid compared to what it was to actually be there right? That's what God wants your soul to be like. That's what God wants your life to be like. He wants you to wake up and it's like this, my couple, I'm not saying it's not hardship. We just said there's real hardship. But in the midst of all of that, there is wilderness in your soul. There's, but, but what do you have to do? You've got to stand your ground. Sorry, 1964, we signed that act. You, you, don't, you can't bring that up in here. You can't land your helicopter and fly fish up in here. Uh, I'm no, I'm standing my ground. No, I'm sorry. You can't do that. This is for you that's a commercial you can't you can't bring that up in here. This is Jesus whipping up that the money changes and flipping over the This is supposed to be about prayer up in here. It's supposed to be about all nations up in here. You can't have it's supposed to be wild. Come on, it's supposed to be fresh. It's supposed to be flourishing. It's supposed to be healthy. It's supposed To be life, you can't have that. You got to say no. You got to stand your ground. You got to say no. You have to say this soul is the place where Jesus is King on the throne. That's not welcome up in here. You can't, you can't give in. You can't give it an inch. You got to stand your ground. Temptation, stand. Affliction, stand. And if you do, you will be. Complete. That's what he said. You should be excited when you go through trials because your testing of your faith is going to produce even more hyperstand. And if you let patience have its work in you that's perfect, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Listen to me very carefully. Suffering, then, he's saying, will give you things you didn't know you needed. And the way God does that is by taking things away that you thought you couldn't live without. The reason we don't want to have joy in trials is because suffering always involves the losing of something we thought we, we couldn't live without. Person, possession, control in a situation, that's suffering. That's when we want to complain. That's when we want to numb. That's when we want to... Uh, just to have a pity party. But if we choose joy in those times, we're believing that God the Father, in his wisdom, knew something needed to be taken away so he could give us something we couldn't get any other way. And if that's the case, then we need wisdom. (laughs) If that's the case, we need wisdom. Whenever we hurt, whenever we're going through something, whenever we have to make a a tough decision and it costs us something, whenever standing up for integrity causes us to, to lose something we loved. For us to rejoice in that moment, what do we need? We need wisdom. And we're in luck, because James has some wisdom for us. And James tells us how to get wisdom. In fact, that's one of the big uh, emphasis of this book. Uh, There are two things that really stand out about the book of James. One thing that I love, and one of the reasons we chose to call the series what we did, is because James uses more nature references and nature analogies than any other epistle in the New Testament. That's pretty cool. Did you hear it? It's the call of the wild. But James also speaks more to the topic of wisdom than any other New Testament book. It's actually been nicknamed the Proverbs of the New Testament. And it is in style more linked up to Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Proverbs, what they called the wisdom literature, than it is just about any other genre in scripture. And no one was better equipped to write a book all about wisdom than James. Because he was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Casual, right? How'd you get so much wisdom? Well, I don't know. I brushed my teeth next to God. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about that for a second. He shared a bunk bed with Jesus, right? It's like, yeah, I'll listen to what that guy has to say, right? I mean, James was impressive. Uh, we know that he was from history, the, the, the New Testament history, the head, the head leader of the church at Jerusalem for three decades. I like how Tim Keller points out that when you're on a team that includes St. Peter, St. Saint Paul, and St. Saint, Saint John, and everybody unanimously looks to you as the leader, you know you're doing something right, man. Like, like, think about it. In the time where Peter and Paul and John were his contemporaries, everyone looked to James as the quarterback, which is pretty incredible. Uh, he was described as a pillar in the, in the Bible. They say he's a pillar. Wouldn't you love for that to be how the world looks at you? I like how Jordan Peterson says that the goal of every man should be to be the strongest person at his father's funeral, that your family could look to you and, 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 and you would be a pillar to the family in the most difficult trying time on this earth that you could face. What an incredible thought for us to aspire to. Uh, we're not going to be in that moment Uh, drunk and intoxicated and just having to cope, that we're going to be strong. We're going to be sad, of course, but that that God would raise up some men to be pillars. I I love that thought. Uh, The Bible talks about, no, 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 that's great for the men, but you women as well. The Bible says that every father and mother should have the heart of prayer for their daughters, that they would become pillars, sculpted in palace beauty. And so I truly believe for all of us that God wants to, like James, make pillars of us. And what, what do pillars do? They beautify for sure. They hold stuff up. They hold stuff up. They hold things together. God has each of us positioned wherever we work, wherever we serve, wherever we play, for us to be pillars in those ways that we would be positioned to to hold things up, salt and light. James was just that way. He also was super fair, right? So don't cheat with him at Yahtzee. He was nicknamed James the Just. He was most likely of all the people to grab the rules and, and, and make sure everyone knew, no, you can't do that. You don't have the longest road. It curves. You have to get that card. You have to have the actual longest road. Don't mess with James the just. All right. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but but what makes James, you know, able to speak to suffering? Because, you know, he's pretty cavalierly saying, you should have joy when life sucks. You're like, but, but what did he ever go through? Well, let's talk about just the final few things he went through. I mean, we could talk a lot about his whole life, but let's just talk about the final few moments, OK? OK. Uh, His enemies took him to the top of a high point, like Jesus had been taken in his temptation, only they threw him off. They threw him off. He survived the fall, so they came down to the bottom and threw stones at him. And when they grew tired of stoning him, someone finally brought out a club and smashed his head until he was dead. That's how James died. So I would say he is worthy of our attention when it comes to the position and posture of our hearts and lives in the midst of the hard things that we face. Three things from the passage we just read. Real quickly, we're almost done here, winding our time down. James tells us three really important things. The first is that you listen. The second is what you listen to. And the third is how you listen. Let's start at the beginning. He says it's important that you listen. Meaning, like he says in verse 19, that you're swift to hear slow to speak, and slow to wrath. He's saying, and this is connected to trials. This is connected to difficulties. This is connected to our hupomone, our hyperstand. When, when things are hard, when, when you're being tempted, don't be in a rush to speak. Don't give in to the anger you'll feel inside sometimes. The solution is to be swift to hear. Eugene Peterson puts that this way, and it's just one of the most memorable verses from the message, in my opinion. He says, leave with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. It is so easy to get that backwards and to fly off the handle and to feel something and act instantly and lash out instantly and assume the worst and to to begin to, uh, to cut into people with our tongue, or to let the anger smolder and let it be that passive-aggressive, let it be that, you know, you know I'm fine, but it's clearly not fine. It's so easy to make one of those two decisions, but, but the solution to it all is to listen. How do you listen? You ask questions and then shut your mouth. What, what was I not seeing when this happened? Because this is what I saw. Or just, what, what, what was this from your perspective that we're quick to listen? Quick to listen to each other, quick to listen to God. We do that. In prayer, James uh, had one more nickname. I told you he was called the Pillar. I told you he was called the Just. One of his other nicknames that's pretty r- ridiculous. Is that he was called Old Camel's Knees? How'd you like that to be your nickname, no, James? Yeah, Old Camel Knees. It's like what the heck? You know why they called him that? Because if you've ever been near a camel, it basically looks like they have knee pads on. Because when you get on a camel, they are able to sit down on their knees and they're able to rest by sitting down on all four of their knees. And that, for that reason, they developed massive calluses that look like knee pads. If you get near a camel, their knees are insane. And James was called old camel knees, apparently because he was so often like a camel on his knees. And he developed calloused knees. One legend about him is that when they threw him off the temple, he just stuck the landing by landing on his knee pads. And that's why he didn't die. I'm not making this up. And, and whether that's true or not, it's pretty clear that James when when he was going through hard stuff, he did what you and I need to do. Not rush to judgment or rush to action or rush to ah, I'm, ah, 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 ah. I'm mad, I'm angry. I want to say a lot, but God, I just want to listen. I want to be swift to listen to you. What are you saying? How are you leading me to joy? What are you trying to give me by allowing that to be taken from my life? When you're going through it or when you're being tempted, it's important that you listen. But it's also important what you listen to. Verse 21, he says, receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, when you and I think about our souls being saved, I think generally speaking, we think of like, Damned or saved, heaven or hell, light or darkness. But James helps us to understand there's, there's so much more nuance to it than that. You, you see, heaven is not just a destination. It's also who we're becoming along the way. And our souls as Jesus people need to be saved from being bifurcated, being divided. In fact, earlier on in James 1, he said that, That If we doubt while we're believing, it will cause there to be a division in our souls. There will be an instability in our souls from being a double-minded man. That Greek word actually means being a two-souled person. What happens to you and to me uh, in life when we choose to prioritize other things ahead of God, that's called idolatry, or we choose to worry instead of pray, is our soul literally goes gets divided a little bit, gets eroded a little bit. We can become two-souled on the inside, and that causes there to be an, an instability because we're supposed to be anchored and held together by that wild, beautiful, free, united soul. The Bible talks about David having an undivided heart, his heart totally towards God. God's looking on the earth for a heart totally towards him, upright, whole. But our soul gets divided. Our soul gets parceled out, and things get weaker. When they get torn into, the enemy's trying to tear your soul into. The enemy's trying to, to weaken the, what's supposed to be the strong part about you. He's trying to put a Taco Bell up inside Yellowstone National Park, right by Old Faithful. You grab a chalupa, watch it go. It's, it's, everybody wins. Stand your ground. Keep your soul undivided. How do you do it? By not just listening to the voice of opinion, the voice of culture, the voice of your friends, but basing your life off the Word of God. This is how you keep your soul saved. This is how you keep your soul saved from, from the things the enemy wants to happen to it. One translation says you have to welcome the word. So it's not just receiving the word, it's welcome the word. I welcome the word of God to have a prioritized place out of all other voices. I'm turning the volume up on God's word of my life. That will help you to lay aside filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Those two things uh, speak of... Um, Filthy habits and wicked conduct. Every one of us have some habit we should shake because habits uh, that are sinful steal freedom because we're not able to serve God while we're choosing to prioritize uh, and perpetuate a habit that pulls us away from him. So as we try and lay aside wicked conduct and filthy habits, we have to base our heart on God's word. It It will give us strength to take off those filthy garments. That's the illustration. Filthy garments and this is gross, earwax that's m- messing your hearing up. That's the two things he's referencing when he says lay aside. This filthiness and overflow of wickedness. It's stuff that's just, you shouldn't be wearing that. It's old, it's gross, it's nasty. It needs to get off of you immediately. After you've been camping for a while, that outfit, man, you've got to get that thing off of you. And if you have too much ears wax, earwax, you can't hear right. You've got you to clean that out. God's word will help you do that. So that you listen what you listen to, and then finally, how you listen. James says, don't just be hearers of the word. Don't, don't just be hearers, but be doers of the word. Because to do that will deceive yourself. And once again, you become too sold. You're deceived. You're, it's pulling away the strength on the inside of you. You're, you're self-deceived. The devil doesn't care that you logged on to church today. The devil doesn't care that you watched this message on the elliptical today. He just doesn't want you to do anything about it after the fact. He wants you to hear just another, oh, that was a good one. That was encouraging. Dang. Great. All right, when is, when is, uh, what's next? He wants he wants us to hear all of this because he knows what you need to know, that spiritual information not immediately put into application will always lead to inoculation. A little shot. Now you can't get the thing because you just got a little bit of the thing. He wants you to have just a little bit of spirituality, a little bit of religion, just a little bit of this, just inoculating you. He doesn't want you to immediately take application. I need to get me to A in my soap journey. I need to A in the application. That's where we have to be. Otherwise, we, are, we will be self-deceived. So we have to always be on guard against uh, the things that will keep us from applying the word as it hits us and God pricks our conscience. says, "Do you need to take action on that. On guard against anything that would cause us to go, oh, yeah, I'll get around to that. And then, next thought, and then we won't do anything about it. Now, as we close, and I really hope you'll come back in the weeks to come, six weeks. It's going to be powerful. Get your soap journal downloaded, James. It's going to be amazing. But, but I wanted to end with something that's special to me, and that's this. Where did all this wisdom come from? James has all this wisdom to give, but where did he get it all? It all came the hardest way possible through the bitterness of regret. For the Bible tells us that James, the half-brother of Jesus, did not believe. This is Mark chapter 3, I think, verse 21. It says, while Jesus was alive, Jesus' own people, including James, did not believe in him, for they said, he is out of his mind. In John chapter 7, some of Jesus' brothers started to mock him. Hey, Jesus, why don't you go to Judea so your followers can see all your miracles? And then, you can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. He spent his life mocking Jesus, ridiculing him, not believing him. Then Jesus died. In James chapter, or 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7 says this, After Jesus rose, he appeared to James Then he appeared to the apostles. That hit me hard this week. Even before he went to see the apostles, he sought out his brother. I'm alive. He gave him a chance to be restored. Imagine the heartache and regret because Jesus was right there in front of him all those years. He spent 30 some years he could have been learning, could have been following. He missed out on that opportunity. But out of that regret, out of that heart sickness, came a profound wisdom called hindsight. And what he offers to us in this book is his painful hindsight offered up to us as foresight. And the good news is that we don't have to miss those years. We can choose to stand our ground and protect the wilderness God wants there to be inside our souls. And let me close with this. If you feel like I don't have strength to stand I don't have strength to hold my ground. The strength that you need to hold that ground, it's not your own. It comes from Jesus. Right. For Hebrews 13 says, we can run our race with endurance. Same word, stand your ground, pomene, Because Jesus endured, same word, the cross. We endure because he endured. Our strength to stand our ground came because in the most difficult moment when everyone else would have turned their back on us and not not gone through with it, Jesus endured. Jesus had the strength to stand and, and did so for the joy in front of him. What joy was it? The joy of reconnecting you and I to the Father. So our joy is linked up to his joy. We can have strength today because he had strength on that day in Jesus' name. And Father, we're thankful for what your son faced for us. And I pray for us all to make that decision, to sign some wilderness acts inside our hearts, to say some, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, to choose to make the boundaries of our soul a place where there is holy, wild, and wonderful fear, and awe, and then the adventure of a lifetime will commence, that will not end, but will spring forward into eternal life. If that's you, and you would say, I want that, I want that right now, I want to do what Wilson did in FDR, I want to sign some legislation right now in this spiritual moment, could you just raise a hand up to God saying, I want there to be some wild in my heart. I hear that call, and I receive it. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. You could put your hands down. I just want to pray a prayer over you. Father, help us to see the areas where we're self-deceived. Help us to see the areas where we're too sold instead of united before you. Help us to see the areas where we've collected bits and bobs of Bible trivia but not acted on them. Help us to see where we're missing the chance to take off those old garments. And I pray for anyone suffering or hurting today. I just really feel there's some people logged on on Facebook right now, and they just really sense you're just trying to speak a word to them right now. And I, I, just, I believe you are. And you're hurting right now, and you don't, you don't understand why this has happened. But I just dare you to believe. It's so you could be perfect. It's so you could be complete. It's for your joy. So God, give us grace to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And if you're watching this message right now and you've never made a decision to give your heart to Jesus, today's the day and now's the time. I want to pray a prayer. And if you've never entered into that wonderful wild life of following Jesus, here's the chance say this, mean it in your heart, God will hear you. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, I can't fix myself, but I believe you can. Please come into my heart. By the cross, I'm forgiven. By the the resurrection, I'm made new. I surrender my soul to you. In Jesus' name, name. amen, amen, (laughs) to every person who's made a decision.